This is Pastor Nathan Kirk, and I am so glad that you have decided to make Greater Life a part of your day by tuning in to the message that you're about to hear. We here at Greater Life are a group of people that are passionate about living for Christ, as well as service one to another. From our worship services, classes, and messages, we strive to love and serve with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I hope you enjoy the message you're about to hear, that it is a blessing to you, and that in turn you may be a blessing to others. If you're searching for a church to call your home, I encourage you to join us here at Greater Life. Kind of know anything about the traditions of Passover, and one of the things I mentioned last week is it is the oldest um, traditional meal with meaning and significance known to man. And it is rich with history. To cover this story and to cover the events and the things of Passover um, and to do it complete justice, we would need more than just six weeks. We would need more than just probably even six months that could consume um, several several more months than that. Even uh, it, it could easily be an entire year as to how that applies to us as Christian believers. Obviously, we're not going to do that, but what we are going to do is just continue to dive a little bit deeper and, and take away some more layers of this or explore some more layers of this as we get a little bit deeper. And truly, uh, throughout all of this, is not just the importance of the story or the events, but it's also the, the application that's so vitally important. What does this have to do with Christians today? Why is this important for us to even observe this? Hopefully in this lesson, that will begin to help to explain a little bit of that today while we get into uh, another layer of Passover. Um, but before we do that, I kind of want to grab at least one of these microphones here tonight and um, want to uh, just see if there are any, uh, do a little bit of a recap from last week. Is there any review or anything that anybody had from last week that particularly stood out or that you enjoyed uh, or maybe didn't enjoy? That's fine, too, I guess. <laughs> anything that particularly stood out or anything of interest uh, specifically regarding this subject, Passover? I can tell did a really good job. One second, brother. I, I think I think we got you muted here. Let's try this again. Okay, go ahead. That leaf was dipped in at the at the Last Supper, and. It was a, like a salty, um, like a taste of, of, of blood. I, that's all I can think of. And then Joseph, his coat was dipped in, torn and dipped in an animal of blood. And that signified um, uh, like the blood of Jesus on the, you know. So that's what I. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Any, anybody else here tonight? Anyone else? Considering it was the longest traditional religious meal ever, um, I was just considering how much the Lord is into memorializing things. And personally, I'm not at all so I have to kind of be intentional. So I, I did that last week with somebody, but like we need to remember, we need to recollect, we need to celebrate. It's good. It's good. <laughs> right. Some of us are not. If, if, if you're one of those people that's not very sentimental, can you raise your hand? <laughs> like, just... Not sentimental. When you're cleaning out the garage or the attic space or the basement or helping somebody go through their storage unit and, and you're one of those people that collectors see and hoarders see and they're like, don't invite them to help clean because they'll just, they'll just get a dumpster and say, do we need this? No, I, I haven't seen that for five years. Throw it away. What about this? Do we need? No, throw it away. There is something, as Brother Mark would just point out, there is something significant 
about the memorializing and the annual visitation, not just as a good idea, but we're going to see here tonight, it was a command to remember and to revisit Passover. Amen. Anybody else here tonight have anything? Yes. Last year, my sister-in-law gave me a book called Book of Mysteries, written by Jonathan Kahn. So I went through the whole book, wrote notes, and it was all about the Hebrew, different meaning in comparison to our English language. I totally enjoy this, that, and I love what you're doing here. All right. Amen. Sister Cindy Martin, are you, you passing the mic off? No, just forward. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to belabor this point too long. That could be um, fine, but we want to make progress. One second here. During a traditional... During a traditional Passover meal, that is one of the aspects of it, is the children have some questions that they ask. And they all murmur and start to ask questions among the adults and the elders and the wise. I, I just think, well, I won't, we won't get into that here tonight. So maybe just a couple of pa- points uh, and highlights from last week. Passover was an annual um, observation and tradition that the... Israelites were commanded to observe. In, in this sense, repetition is not always bad. It's not always bad. And, in, and in, actually, in reality, one of the things that repetition or tradition, as it were, appropriate traditions, at least biblical customs or traditions or observations, one of the things that that helps us observe is it helps, us, it helps ground us again. One, one second. It helps, it helps ground us. So why do we need grounding? Why did Israel need grounding? Let's, I mean, if you just take a cursory view of Israel's lifestyle, one of the things that the children of God, the people of God, which is no different from us today, one of the things that they continually did is they continued to look outward at other nations. They saw other gods and the way that other gods did, other cultures did things with their idols, and they started to adapt some of their practices. They saw other nations in the way that other nations had kings, and they started to adapt some of their practices. And the more that they were looking outward as a progressive group, right, the more damage that actually began to do. We, I think we need, it's not just an okay idea, it's vital for us to get back to roots, get back to foundations, get back to our beginnings and the formative places in our lives, in our walk with God and in this kingdom to re-ground us because we can start to begin to look and our eyes can begin to, to look and wander a little bit. Just because it's new doesn't mean it's better. <laughs> and, and quite frankly, there's nothing that's new under the sun. It's just repackaged and put in a different way. But when you trust in God and follow his ways, but the only, the only way to do that is what we find here is the significance of regrounding ourselves. Well, how do we do that for ourselves? One of the ways that we do that is we get back to doctrine. We understand we get back to doctrine. We get back to our salvation and this crucial, crucial entrance into the kingdom of God that we can't, we can't forsake that. I think that that's a very huge takeaway from Passover as far as why that's important. Um, I, I think getting back to our roots in our foundation is not regressive. I do believe that getting back to our roots and our foundation in this, in this book is God's will. I just saw a, um, a, a post somebody forwarded me from um, the author of my favorite book, Outside the Bible, my favorite book, it's called Enemies of the Heart. It's by Andy Stanley. 
And I don't like everything he's written, but I do like this book. And I think it's really solid. If you deal with hurts and hurts that you felt and, and difficulties in your life that other people have perpetrated on you, this would be a great book for you. But he wrote, he, he wrote this, this social media post, and somebody forwarded it to me, and it says something along, along the lines of, Christians don't need to worry about the accuracy of 66 books. They just need to model their lives after Jesus of Nazareth. And I thought, that's terrible. Because you don't know who Jesus is unless you have 66 books to tell you all about Jesus. I was, I was just so dismayed, and so I burned all of my Andy Stanley memorabilia. No, I, I didn't do that. <laughs> right, yeah, he's, he's kind of, he's, he's getting out there. He's, but what is that? That's progressive Christianity, progressing with our times. What, it, what it's doing is it's taking the truths of this book and, a, and, a, and looking at who Jesus is through the lens of 21st century uh, spirit of the times, 21st century culture. It's looking at this book and just saying, well, the only really thing that we need is to follow kind of the principles that Jesus of Nazareth followed. And, in, and if we do that, then we'll realize that. I, I heard a, a sermon recently. This is going off track here tonight, but there's, this, there's why it's important to get to be rooted. It's why it's important to be rooted. I heard a sermon by a denominal speaker recently who talked, just an excerpt from it, and I was like, well, I'm done with that, um, who talked about how um, Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch. Does everyone know what a eunuch is? Okay, I have slides. Uh, no. Uh, no, just, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's, anyway, with dictionary definitions. I don't know what you guys are thinking. I just, you know, but if you don't know what a eunuch is, um, don't Google it. I, just ask somebody here that knows, and they'll help you. No, it's somebody who's it's somebody who's been castrated, neutered, <laughs> and Philip. So this Ethiopian eunuch was coming from Passover and leaving, and Philip, the evangelist, met him on the road and began to, and entered into the chariot and began to talk to him about because he was reading in Isaiah and couldn't understand what he was reading, finding this book, book of Acts, and this speaker was talking about how how Philip found somebody who didn't have a gender identity. Yes, yes. And said that, that is what our, that's what our call is to do. And, and they welcomed in those that don't have gender identities and that's, or that don't conform to normal gender identities. Now, here's the reality. We do welcome in anybody that doesn't conform to, to, to what we would say is the right or the wrong thing to do because they don't know this book. But if you just know Jesus through 20th, 21st century culture and you don't know 66 books that are all about Jesus, then you're going to get the wrong impression of who Jesus is. So I say all that to say grounding, regrounding is not regressive. It's not falling back and saying we're missing something bigger. It's regrounding ourselves in what matters most. What matters most. Okay. It's part of what this feast is all about. Passover itself is also um, layered. This is one of the takeaways from last week, but it's what we're going to talk about here today. Passover is layered because it represents a time of Jesus preparing his disciples for what's about to take place in the next 12 hours, but it's also revealing deeper truths. It's, it's, it was the original story that we're, we're going to kind of take a little bit more of a look at here today, but it also reflected um, things about Jesus himself. And it's something that he's using to prepare his disciples for because the next, in the next several hours, they're going to see some of the most horrific things happen to their Savior, their, their Messiah. They're going to see some Horrible, horrible things happen to him, and he is taking time to stop everything and to tell them this, to retell this Passover story. What I think is so vital about this, and the last point that I want to make is, is that 
the, the importance of Passover is not simply, it's not simply a meal. But Jesus, all throughout his earthly ministry, teaches by examples, teaches by parables, teaches by physical examples taking place. He's always teaching everywhere that he goes. And in this last moment before this horror that he's about to step into, in this last moment, Jesus could have stood behind a lectern of sorts and and lectured them and told them, this is what's going to happen. But instead, he didn't do that. Instead, he sat down and he showed them in a meal. He told them about what, he went, reached all the way back to the past, and then he said, it's not just then, this is, this is me. This is here. This is now. He, he was teacher, 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 all the way to the end. It's so, I, I just think that's so, so incredible. That's, that's the way that only Jesus does it, Bill. At its core, Passover, the Passover meal is a story. It's not just a meal. At its core, it's a story. And it's a story of freedom. It's a story about how Jewish ancestors, the people, were enslaved in a brutal disruption and uh, in a, in a brutal, brutal display of injustice and violence. Injustice and cruelty was manifested on the people of God. And injustice and cruelty, those two things are horrible. And we're, we're seeing that in our world right now. If you're following anything that's going on in um, Ukraine with Russia, it's horrible. It's unjust. And there's something that rises up inside of us that says something must be done. Something has to be done about this injustice that's being perpetrated upon these people. Now, we take that here today, but this is the people of God we're talking about. And they're saying something must be done. Something must be done. Well, something was preparing to be done. But that's 400 years of something must be done. We, we've seen this for the last couple weeks in Ukraine, and, and, and we're, you know, it's still quite upsetting and very, very disturbing, but this is 400 years of something must be done. Longer than our nation has been a nation is, is examples of Cruelty and injustice, something must be done. So Passover takes us through this journey a little bit. Passover meal, if, as we're kind of talking about that and working around that, the Passover meal itself includes a lot of scripture and Bible reading. Isn't that great? I think it I think it is great. Like like what's what's the worst thing about reading this book? Oh, I don't know, there's like life from it. Oh no, we have to have a meal and read scripture and it the majority of it is three chapters in Exodus which can take around 40 or 45 minutes just to kind of work your way through those a little bit as it tells the story. I'm not going to tell that story here tonight. That's kind of a long reading. For us, and it's already nearly 7.30, so that would eat up the rest of our time here this evening. But I'll, I'll, I'll take your attention to Deuteronomy chapter 26, which kind of gives the, uh, the Reader's Digest version of this. 26. Um, probably actually shorter than the Reader's Digest version of it. Uh, beginning in verse 5. It's like this little excerpt in here that just brings us through this really quickly. Deuteronomy 26.5. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a Syrian about to perish 
and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number. So this is, this is telling the story. Now, if you're familiar with the story, when you read just a sentence, you, you know that there's a lot packed into that. There's like 20-some chapters in Genesis packed into that sentence right there. <laughs> Remember the story in Genesis where, and we talked about this a little bit last week, where the, the book, maybe we didn't mention this last week, but we've mentioned it in the past, where the book starts out like universally. It starts out in the universe, the cosmos, and then it comes down to global, and then it, and then it comes down to um, like national or, 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 or a people, humanity, and then it comes down to Abraham as a people, and then Israel as a nation. And that's just over 50%, it's about 55%, 53% of the book of Genesis is that story. But the rest of the story of Genesis is essentially surrounding one man, Joseph. It, it comes to a screeching halt around Joseph. And the details of the story matter because this is how God's people get to this place where they need to be delivered. The details of the story matter. So you read this, you read this sentence and... You say, well, that's kind of a lot packed in there. But the story is this, is you have these 12 sons. I'm going to go through this really quickly, so don't, don't worry about you know, taking too much of this in. But as you're in a Passover meal, you're telling this story. You're telling a story about how, how Israel has 12 sons, and it's the 12 tribes. And you have, starting at Reuben, all the way down to Benjamin. There you go. And right before Benjamin is Joseph, and, and he's a special boy. And Joseph starts to have these dreams that really start to irritate his brothers and, and uh, even go so far as to irritate his mother and his father. And there are these dreams that he's having about everybody bowing down to him because he's so, so special. And what happens to Joseph afterwards is he's sold into slavery and he's heading the right way, but then he's sold into slavery, so he gets traded to Potiphar. And after he's traded to Potiphar, he, he has <laughs> this weird interaction with Potiphar's wife and she... We know that kind of the story, and so he gets sent to prison, and after he's sent to prison, he becomes the head of the prison. He, he's going through these ups and these downs. He has these, this dream interpretation, and, and then after that, he's brought back to Pharaoh, and you can kind of just get the imagery here of Joseph's journey. He's, 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 it's on this journey, and in one sentence of the Bible, it gives us this whole story. And then Genesis comes to a close, and it says that there arose a king in Egypt that didn't know God didn't know him. We pick up in Exodus. This is all part of the story. It's all part of the Passover story. It's been a while since we talked about it, so let's kind of refresh our memory here tonight. We pick up and we find that God's people in Exodus 1, we're going to read from Exodus 1 here in a little bit, God's people are now, they've gone from being this great, powerful nation in Egypt that's blessed beyond measure because of God's goodness to them. They're, they're blessed and they're thriving and they're growing and they're they're occupying, and they're, they're starting to kind of maybe even have a lot of influence in the territory. When, that's when I think we need to be careful is when we have a lot of influence, the enemy takes notice. Let me just insert this isn't part of the lesson here tonight, but has any, if you've been under, um, I, I, I'll just say this, um, myself, the, our family, I, and I know from talking to plenty of people in this church, the enemy has been very busy with this church. Now, I want to give us a time out. Don't receive the enemy's busyness. Somebody called me the other day, um, and I was not able to take the call, but they called me seven times in a row. Um, here's a, a helpful pointer for anybody if you're trying to get a hold of me. I don't know if this applies to anybody else. If you're trying to get a hold of me and I don't answer after the first time you call, do not call again, like right away. If you call again right away and I am available, I will not answer <laughs> because that is my rule. If I'm not available, I won't answer. If I am available, I absolutely will. But please leave a message either way. If you don't leave a message, it probably wasn't important. Anyway, okay, well... Um, No, so seven times, seven times. That's not like seven times seven is some biblical number. No, it was just seven times. No, 
No, we're not. No, that's not. It's like God's perfect number. I should have answered on the seventh time. It's the cloud size of a man's hand. There was a prophecy waiting. For, no, I know this person well enough. There was no prophecy waiting for me. There's nothing there. <laughs> that's all right. I still. We're coming up on 17 years of marriage anyway, so I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Everyone just relax. I'm just teasing. It's okay. It's a joke. It wasn't her. I'm just joking. Everyone just relax. So, no, but the point is, the point is, when the enemy keeps calling, you don't have to pick up. You can block his number. Like, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. And if he's bothering you, it is written. Like, we don't have a better model to handle this. The best model that you can do, it is written. And the enemy will leave. So don't, don't entertain his presence. Don't set up a meeting with him. Let's talk about this. Anyway. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. The, that, that we've been gaining influence. That we've been gaining ground and gaining momentum. And the enemy has been working. He's been working. Can anybody, right? Is, I, like, we're not celebrating like, all right. Like, no, but it's real. It's very true. The enemy has been working, and he doesn't want to leave us alone. But can I tell you, the enemy only has as far as God will allow him to go. We can allow him to go farther if we let him in. Don't let him in. Okay, in this story, we find that that. The, that Israel is now becoming an influence in Egypt. And as a result of their influence, Egypt says, we're going to begin to oppress them. Okay? This oppression was part of God's plan, but it didn't feel very good. But it was part of God's plan. Okay. So they're oppressing them, they're enslaving them. And then one of the worst things imaginable happens is... Pharaoh commits, in, in essence, an act of genocide in the sense that he has all the children, um, all the, uh, the, male, the, the young male boys, an entire generation of male Israelites killed. Now, you're, we're going to talk about these plagues that Egypt was put through, but before we start to think about maybe how... Um, how we, we don't really feel good about the plagues that, is, that Egypt went through, let's realize something. Pharaoh took all of the little boys in a nation and had them brutally murdered, torn from their mother's arms, thrown into a river, an entire generation. So, we, we know the story of Moses, and so what happens is that the Lord begins to raise up a deliverer. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, 26, um, my father was a Syrian about to perish, he went down to Egypt and dwelt there. Few in number, there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And then there's this really cool verse that is repeated a number of times in the Old Testament, and you see it throughout. So the Lord, this theme throughout verse number eight. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. This is where we see the introduction of Moses um, at, at that point being introduced into the story. And we, and I'm just going to go through this really quickly. He has this burning bush uh, interaction with the Lord who instructs him to go back to Egypt and to set the people free. And from that point, Moses goes back to Egypt. And we, this is kind of where we pick up the ten, ten plagues. 
Is it, we okay here tonight? Everyone all right? This Passover story it is a story about freedom at its core. It's a story about freedom and about liberation, but understanding that there are some really messy and difficult and hard parts of the story in order to get to freedom. Freedom doesn't just happen overnight. Now, but when you are free, you're free indeed. When you are free, there's, no, there's nothing holding you back. There's nothing that latches onto you and stays with you and makes you unfree. Okay. Just making sure we're there. Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to pick up tonight because this is essentially the institution, not essentially, this is the institution of Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Beginning in verse 1. Um, what, if, if, if you've ever been to a traditional Passover, um, you'll hear a lot of reading, and in this reading and a lot of the back and forth, you'll even hear um, some singing in Hebrew. I don't know if you ever, like, and, yeah, uh, yeah, right? So, and so I don't know if anybody knows enough Hebrew and is ready to sing it. Um, okay, well, no, okay. <laughs> Exodus 12. I don't know any Hebrew, so I, and I can't sing. So we're just going to read this. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be to you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, you will take everyone, every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to, unto uh, his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. The lamb shall be without blemish. Like at the beginning of this chapter, it's lamb, lamb, lamb. It's all about the lamb. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from your sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take the blood and strike it on two sides of the post, on the upper doorpost of the house wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night and roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. So we're going to, there's two aspects right there of Passover is the lamb and bitter herbs. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, or like boiled with water, but roast with fire his head and his legs, and with the pertinence thereof, or the entrails. And you shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, that which remaineth of it in, uh, in, until the morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with your loin... So, Look at this. You shall eat it with your loins girded. You dressed and ready to go. Your shoes on your feet. Your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They, there's, a, there's a part where we're going to get to in a little bit about unleavened bread, which is the third major part of this meal is the lamb, bitter herb, and the unleavened bread. These are the main parts of this meal. But he's telling them, the Lord is preparing them, and he's saying, I'm going to pass over, but when I pass over, I don't want you to stay in this place after. When I pass over, it's time for you to go. Get ready. Don't get comfortable. Don't get comfortable. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the first... So this is the last, the tenth plague, right? I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all... This is so, like... God's just so cool. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute, execute judgment. I am the Lord. Like a boss. He's just like, I'm going to come in and do this. By the way, so everybody knows, I, like, that goes without saying. No, it doesn't. I'm going to say it. I am 
the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Um, Let's just keep reading because this is so good. Is this all right tonight? Okay. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial, for a memorial, and you shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it to a feast by, the, by an ordinance forever. Se- verse 15. Seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. Here we find it. Even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your house. And who, this is pretty interesting. Whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that soul shall be cut off from Israel. And in the first day, there should be a holy convocation or, or a gathering of the assembly together. And in the seventh day, there should be a holy congregation to you. No manner, of the, no manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, and that only may be done of you. You shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in the selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month, at even you shall eat unleavened bread until one in the twentieth day of the month at even. So Moses called, verse 21, Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, draw out and take you a lamb. And he explains the Passover process. Verse 29, it came to pass at midnight, the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne and to the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon. He didn't leave anyone out. And all the firstborn cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Also take, your, take everything. Take your flocks and your herds, as you said, and be gone. And, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, We be all dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they required. And they spoiled the Egyptians. A um, little bit of a lengthier reading here tonight, but I, I want us to remember the story and what this, really what this story is all about. As we're kind of getting into these details and unlocking this a little bit layer by layer, it, it, it was so, this last step in this plan was so devastating that Pharaoh and the Egyptians said, get out of here. Go. Just leave. Just go, please. They, they were trying to usher them out. Take whatever you want to take. Just, I don't care, just go. Just go. Pharaoh, here's the thing though. Pharaoh had an opportunity to allow God's people to flourish. But he would not allow that. When you read about the story of Pharaoh, you'll find multiple times where Scripture says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And maybe when you read that, you might say, well, that's not really fair, is it? Like, what choice did he have? Um, The best way I've... There's lots of ways that this can be explained. So if anybody has some insights into this, I'm more willing to kind of pass the microphone around. Sister Lee, I'm sure, has something. But um, 
But one of the things that is best explained to me is that somebody said he, he would if he could. He would let them go if he could, but he wouldn't let them go. And so God made sure that he couldn't let them go. He refused. He, he just refused. He refused. He, and he even had this, we see that this happened a number of times when he would, he would release them or he would say, just let the men go and leave your families behind. And he would, or he would let the people go, but then he would say, ah, never mind, I changed my mind. Or, or he would say, stop this plague of frogs. When do you want this stopped? And he said, well, how about tomorrow? And, and then I'll let people go. And he would continually change his mind. Because in his heart, in his heart, he had already held them captive and refused to let them go. So, God raised up a deliverer, Moses. And Moses came with the message, let my people go. And at this point in the story, this is where we find the plagues. Each of these, each of these plagues. Oh, you got a question? Oh, I thought you said God bless you. And I was like, I didn't hear a sneeze, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know you don't need it, but. My, my question is, bro, what is the unleavened bread about? It's a good question. I appreciate you asking that. That's a good question. Uh, you know what? Thank you for asking that. Because you could have sat on that and been like, yeah, that was a good lesson. Wasn't that a good lesson? Talk about the unleavened bread. What about the unleavened bread? And you go, oh, I don't know what that's like. Well, okay, what's unleavened bread for anybody? Bread without yeast. Why is that important, though? Can I grab that from you? Why is that important? Why, why were they supposed to keep the yeast out? Because they didn't have time for it to rise. They, they had to leave. Remember when I was talking about how they stood there with their, their, they were dressed to go, they had their shoes on, they had their staff in their hand, and they were eating with the other hand, you know. And they didn't have time to wait for the, for the yeast, the dough to rise and the yeast to, to act. How long does it take yeast you know, dough to rise with yeast. How's, how long does that take? A couple hours. A couple hours. We're not talking like a six-day process or something like that. This isn't some kind of like sourdough starter or something like that. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was like a form of yeast. It was like a form of yeast. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. So, let me repeat. Well, hold on. Just It's helpful and I and I'm told this and it's a good point that's made. It's helpful to talk into the microphone because some people listen online and they may not hear it. So, sorry. No, you're fine. So in, in, in the New Testament, I, you know, just trying to correlate these, it's like a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So so what does that mean? I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm asking yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, yeah, no. Okay, well, what does that mean? What does it mean? Hold on, hold on. The leaven represents sin, and when you make, when you actually make bread with yeast, you need, like, teaspoon and it rises the entire loaf so what it's saying is like a little bit of sin corrupts the entire body well yeah it, it, it a little bit you don't need to go all out because sometimes it, that's our mindset is well at least I didn't insert the blank really at least like at least I didn't do a bad sin, you know. I just did a little, I did one of those little ones. I did a cute sin, and, and that's okay. I just did a little cute one. It's just a little blemish. 
It's just a little, it's just a little blemish. But everything, like God puts a premium on holiness and purity. And even this lamb, let's go back to the lamb. The, one of the criteria for the lamb is that it's without blemish. And he's coming back for a church that is without spot or wrinkle. But we just need to know Jesus. We don't need to know these 66 books. Okay. Great, great questions, Lee. Great questions. Thank you for asking them. Um, so, real quickly, just here's what happens, and I won't go through all of, all of these tonight, obviously in detail, but every plague, we would call it a, a plague um, because we know what they are, the Bible calls them plagues, but what we find is that every one of these um, really natural catastrophes, it's, it's a catastrophe that involves nature. Every one of these catastrophes takes place, and, it, and every one of these flies, like literally sometimes flies, but um, <laughs> flies, anyway, um, it flies in the face of these gods of Egypt. And there's, there's a correlate there between the power of Egypt and the power of God. And what the Lord is, I mean, he says in, we just read, so that they'll know, I am the Lord, so that there's no question in their mind, I am the Lord. These are the gods of Egypt, and you can see this, this impact is, is wide-ranging. It's, it's, it's all over the land, and partway through this, partway through this, we find that the, the place where Israel dwelt among the Egyptians was cut off, and the plagues no longer extended into Israel, but it just focused on Egypt. It's, it's incredible. Um, just a couple of visuals here. I mean, imagine, like in our world today, we're kind of, we, we get really worked up over eight inches of snow or six inches of snow that we got on Sunday. Which, by the way, thank you to our board members for getting the lot cleared and shoveled and, and salted and the family members that helped. But these would be plagues that you couldn't do anything about that. These would be blizzards that you hadn't seen. This is like Book of Job, snow and hail stored in silos for the times of trouble and war and strife, like those types of plagues. Um, the cattle dying, the flies, boils on the skin. I'm moving past that one quickly. <laughs> Hail and locusts and darkness that fell upon people. Like, this is, this is intense stuff that's taking place. And it brings us, it, like, the thing about this is that it brings us to this place where God is continuing to hammer away, hammer away, hammer away at Egypt. And, and through every plague, it's like the Lord is saying to Pharaoh, he's saying, it doesn't have to be like this. We don't have to, you want to keep going? Like I do that with my kids when we wrestle and they, and they don't want to quit. I'm like, it doesn't have to be like this. You want some more? Just say, I quit. Just tap out. It's going to be okay. And they never do because they're stubborn. Yeah, 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 I know. Apples and trees. Apples. That's true. I just can't deny that. Apples and trees. <laughs> just, I'm just <laughs> um, what are we talking about? God was, God was continually going over and over and over again, giving opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, and he's hammering them, like, on the personal level, hammering them, hammering them over and over and over again, and over and over again, saying, it doesn't have to be like this, Pharaoh. 
You, you can relent. You can, you can quit. But he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He wouldn't quit. So finally, it, it, it ends with the last plague. This is the death of a firstborn. And while this is a part of the story, this is not the point of the story. The point of the story is the way out. The way out from the cruelty of Pharaoh, the way out from the cruelty of humanity, the way out from the destruction of of what we kind of the pharaohs we create in our own lives. Because Pharaoh hasn't ended. Okay. This Passover meal represents a story of freedom and liberation more than in more than it does enslavement or brutal plagues. So last thing I'm what I'm giving us over these next, over these, over these la- uh, first couple lessons here today, uh, uh, in this series, is just little bits and pieces that I want us to start to put together here. So just little bits and pieces of putting this together. In Passover, I just, I just mentioned this a little bit ago. There are three, there are lots of different pieces to it, but in the Passover meal, there are three main things, and this is kind of the last points I'm making about these three main things. There are three main things that you have to have and consume if you're going to consume Passover. Does anyone remember what I mentioned? The lamb, bitter herb, unleavened bread. Now there's more on the menu if we want to look at that, but those are the three main things. Those are the three main things. If you want to consider yourself having observed Passover, those are the three main things. Unleavened bread. Exodus 12 shows us this, and we've already read a little bit, but let's look at verse 37, because this is where we left off. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Sokoth, around 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. And a mixed multitude went up also with them, and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. And they baked unleavened cakes out of dough, which they brought forth out of Egypt. For it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not tarry, neither had they prepared for themselves any victual. This, so, so imagine, and, and kind of come with me here, um, not literally with me, but join me figuratively, Imagine this last supper that Jesus has with his disciples. And, and he's bringing them together, and, and they're all sitting on one side of the table, apparently. Um, to get in the picture. Um, no, they're all sitting on the floor, on cushions, the low table. And it's the first, this, this like, this first part of their day, their day's just beginning. The sun is setting and the day's just beginning. And there's this like huge thing in front of Jesus and he's just about to teach them a lesson and he goes back to the most formative story that you can go to as an Israelite. He goes back to Passover and the story and, he, and, he's, and you can just kind of like, if you want to go with him and telling the story, there they are and, and, and they're working through the story. But in Matthew 26 is where we find Jesus telling this story and he's got all his disciples sitting around and he's commanded his disciples to go and prepare the place so they prepare it for Passover. This after this point at this point Judas has already been found out He's already left, which kind of leaves a little bit of a downer on the meal. 
I mean, imagine you're having your guests over, your friends over, and there's somebody there that says, hey, um, one of you is, is about to betray me. And you're going to give me up. And they're all looking around saying, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And uh, that person gets found out. And Jesus <laughs> says, in another gospel, he says, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. So Judas leaves. That leaves Jesus with the 11. And that's a pretty awkward you know, conversation to have right there at that point. Oh, how about that unleavened bread, huh? Anyone pass some matzah or what are we? So they start this meal and the Passover. Remember, this is a meal. This is a meal. So they, they're, they're, they're sitting around just comfortably in an uncomfortable situation. But what do you do in an uncomfortable situation? You do what everybody does. You just kind of try to make light of it. And you keep moving on. And, and then you start to eat and you start to say, okay, well, we're going to eat now. That'll kind of brighten the mood a little bit, right? So he takes the bread, and he starts with bread, and it's this unleavened bread. And he, he breaks the bread, and, and he, he starts to hand it to everybody. He says, here's some bread, and, and here's some bread, and here's some bread, and here's some bread. Here, here's, have some bread. And they're all saying, well, this is, okay, this is familiar. This is familiar because this is Passover. This is familiar for us. This is, this is normal. So let's, let's eat this bread. And while they're eating this bread, Jesus, you know, this bread is associated with the need to leave quickly, and we can't let, like, they're, they're having all of these memories about what this bread is supposed to be about, and, and, and they've maybe and even likely talked through this, and talked through what this unleavened bread is about, and why it's so significant, and why it's so important. And so Jesus says to them, he says, oh, by the way, um, eat this because this bread that you've associated with Passover for so long, it's actually, it's actually my body. And, and you're holding that going, one more time? I don't remember that in my, in my script that I had here. I don't remember that. I don't remember seeing that. I, I don't know what you're talking about. What Jesus is doing is he's, he's showing them, you're familiar with Passover, but I'm showing you me. I'm showing you how I am fulfilling this Passover. And so he says, eat, this is my body. John 6, 35 Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The process, so what's the process of making bread? Well, the process of making bread is you've got to kind of like get these ingredients together and mix it all up, and you have to, you have to knead it. And I don't know if you've ever kneaded bread, but it's, it's a little bit of work. You have to work it over. And you, you, Sister, Sister Whaley, she's got the motion down. You have to work it over and over and over. You don't just kind of, they didn't have KitchenAids, you know. There was, no, there was no, like, shortcut to unleavened bread. You had to make it, and, and you had to put everything into it and, and work it over. And then you had to put it into an oven at extremely high temperatures, and it's going to go through this hot, um, essentially burning process that it has to go through. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm that bread. I'm about ready to get worked over. And I've got to go through something fierce and fiery. I'm, I'm that bread. It's a very, it's a different meaning. It's more than just a, more than just a tra traditional Passover. Jesus is saying, 
This is being fulfilled in me. But he doesn't stop there. That was the unleavened bread. What was the other thing that is needed? One of the other things, one of the other three? A bitter herb. Bitter herb. In Exodus chapter 1, we read about um, a new king over Egypt that didn't know Joseph and set taskmasters over them. Verse number 13 of Exodus 1, it says, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. Rigor doesn't just mean hard work. It, it meant almost contemptuously challenging. Beyond just arduous. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. It's that bitterness. And understanding that our lives, when we are in sin, <laughs> our lives are, are, are brutally bitter. And they're taking this herb and, and understanding that this is your, your bitter life. And when, if, when, you, when you take this herb and when we take it together, one of the things that we're going to see is that it's, it's not just a little salty. It's not like if you've ever had it, it's not just like, ooh, that's a little bitter. It's intense. I mean, there's a cup that you drink with that grape juice. Remember I was talking about that? You drink that for a reason, and one of the reasons is, like, after you get that, you've got to get that out of your system because it's intense. And if you've ever had something, in, in, like, intensely bitter, I was talking with a group about this earlier this week about... Um, ocean water. Has anyone ever like had a mouthful of ocean water? Will that quench your thirst? Not even close. What does it make you do? You you drink it, and you go. <laughs> you just recoil, right? Because it's so intense, and that's what this is representing. It's the recoil of the intensity of our lives when we're in sin. And when we're under the bondage of sin, it's this recoil. Uh, we relate it to the, the slavery that God's people were in, and that was the application then. But he fast-forwards it to their time, and he says, but in your time, in your time, what you find is it's more than just this, this story. In your time, it's your own life that you recount of when, when you were in bondage of sin or when you were your own pharaoh. And just the bitterness of that life. And the Lord is showing us in this, in this Passover. But then, so he's going through this with his disciples. And, and, then, uh, and then what's the third, what's the third ingredient or the third part? The lamb. And if you read in the Gospels, in every Gospel account of the Passover with Jesus, there was no lamb. I, I believe because Jesus was the lamb. I, I just... It's like, where's... It's like Isaac saying, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? The Lord himself will provide a lamb. The disciples, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Jesus is, I'm, I'm the lamb. Because the very next thing that they do, and this is where we'll conclude tonight, the very next thing that they do is Jesus gives them a cup, and he gives thanks, and he says, drink you all of it. This is such, he says, for this is my blood of a New Testament that's shed for many for the remission of sins. That he's already talking about redeeming the world back to himself. 
And he makes this cool statement. It's just so, like, the way only Jesus can. And verse 29, he says, I say to you, like, we read this and we kind of move forward from this. But he says, I say to you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine. He's like, I'm not going to drink any more of this until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was looking past the cross, and he was looking into the kingdom, and he's saying, this is not the end. Um, this, this last drink that we're about to drink, this is a testament of what's to come. And in this Passover that Jesus has with his disciples, as much as it was a retelling of their past and a, and a regrounding of them in their past, I, I believe, and I think it's pretty clear, the scriptures bring out that Jesus was also telling his disciples about their future. He was revealing himself to them in a deeper way that Passover was really fulfilled in him. He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it, right? So he's like this Passover that they've been observing like from time immemorial over and over and over and over again has wound its way to being fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ. And that fulfillment continues to apply to us today. No wonder why after that Passover, they go into their land of promise. No wonder why for us as believers that we have a promise. This promise is to you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together here tonight.